pray together. Father, we bow before you this morning, just being reminded of these great truths about your plan of rescuing people like us. Thank you that you chose us before the foundation of the world, adopted us into your family by your love, redeemed us through the blood of Christ, forgiving us all our sins, sealed us by the Holy Spirit until our redemption is completed. And so thank you that you've done that miracle of grace, this miracle of taking blind eyes. Like we saw in Sunday school, our eyes were blinded to the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. And you said, let there be light in our dark souls so that we now see your glory in the face of Christ. And I pray you would do that miracle for anyone here this morning or anyone listening who hasn't seen Jesus as who he is and what he has accomplished once and for all. Lord, that you would call them by your grace to believe in Christ. And now, Lord, as we open your word together and just see more of your plan to rescue us, Lord, would we would you deepen our understanding of what is involved in our salvation and sweeten the taste of it to our souls, Lord, that we would just have a deeper thankfulness, a deeper love for what you have done. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's pretty safe to assume that we have all heard the word gospel before. Maybe we think of a certain style of music, or someone might say, I'm not making this up, this is gospel truth. I grew up in a church where we stood every Sunday for the reading of the gospel, which is a selection from Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. The word gospel itself means good news. But what is the good news and how do we know it's true and why is it the best news that we could ever hear? Our text for today gets us started on the answers to those questions. So if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Romans chapter 1 as we begin a new series in this New Testament letter, which is sometimes called the greatest letter ever written. So Romans chapter 1, and we'll start with the first Seven verses. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his namesake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ, 
to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning I want to look at three basic truths we need to know about the gospel in the first four verses. And then, Lord willing, we'll look at three more realities in the next verses next Sunday. First, the gospel is the gospel of God. You see that right in verse 1? Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, I belong to him. He owns me. He's my master. I serve him. Called as an apostle, I'm his authoritative representative. I've been set apart for the gospel of God. Didn't just say just the gospel, of the gospel of God, which means the gospel is good news from God himself. One helpful summary of the gospel, this is kind of a working definition, is the gospel is the good news of God's complete remedy in Christ for our complete ruin in sin. It is the joy-producing message that God has done everything necessary to restore sinful people like us to a relationship with himself through faith in Jesus. And first we need to know that the gospel is ultimately from God and about God. God himself is the author or the origin of the good news. People did not and could not come up with it on their own. If you want to turn over to the next book, 1 Corinthians 1, look at verse 21 of chapter 1. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. So God designed reality in such a way that man, woman, is not going to just figure out who God is or how to have a relationship with God in their own thinking. But God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached. He's talking about the gospel that I preach to save those who believe. So man isn't going to come up with this. God designed a way through the good news that he preaches to rescue people that are sinners to God. And Paul also wants us to know that even though he is the human messenger of this gospel, he's the apostle who's been sent to proclaim it, he did not invent it. So go over to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So I didn't make this up. It was revealed to me. And because that is true, Paul can say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, if you want to turn over to that, a lot of text this morning. So if, if it's too fast, just write them down in your notes and look them up this week. Um, but we have a lot. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 and 5 Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. How do I know God chose you and loves you? For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full 
conviction. So I bring the gospel, you receive it this way, and then look at verse 13 of chapter 2. For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you receive the word of God, he just talked about you receive this message, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. So as we walk through this letter together for however long, and we keep coming across some things that are so contrary to what our culture believes, we will need to remind ourselves that what we are reading in this letter and what we read in this whole book called the Bible is ultimately coming from God himself and speaks with his authority. Not just our opinions or Paul's opinions or anybody else's opinions. God himself revealed this book, including the book of Romans, to us. It's absolute truth for all people, all times, all cultures, all situations. It's truth. So the gospel is ultimately from God and it is ultimately about God. It is not ultimately about us and how it meets our needs. It does meet our deepest needs and transform our lives and change our eternities from hell to heaven. does all of that, but we are not the main characters in the drama of redemption. God is. So this is what uh, Leon Morris wrote. God is the most important word in this epistle. Romans is a book about God. No topic is treated with anything like the frequency of God. Everything Paul touches in this letter, he relates to God. In our concern to understand what the apostle is saying about righteousness or justification or other topics, we ought not to overlook this tremendous concentration on God. There is nothing like it elsewhere. And so later in Romans 11:36, you read and we'll sing later for all things for from him are for from him and to him and through him are all things. To him be the glory forever. So all things would include the gospel, which means the good news of our salvation comes from God. And the work of salvation was accomplished through God. And the ultimate purpose of salvation is glory to God. So that's why we sang to the praise of his glory earlier. It was just reminding us the goal of our Salvation was ultimately that God receives the glory and honor he's due as the gracious God that he is. Next, Paul tells us that the gospel was promised by God. The good news of God's complete remedy in Christ for our complete ruin and sin did not just start when the angel announced, fear not, I bring you good news, same word as we translate gospel, good news of great joy which will be for all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who's Christ the Lord. That's the good news, and it was announced to the shepherds, but it was announced a lot earlier than that in the prophets or through the prophets in what we call the Old Testament. So God designed the plan of salvation before the foundation of the world, and he announced it beforehand through the scriptures. So let's look at a few examples. Um, go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 12. 
Remember in chapter 3, right after the fall, he announces that someone is coming who will bruise the serpent's head, even though his heel will be broken or wounded. Genesis 12, he's now called Abraham, who was an idol worshiper before. In Genesis 12, 3, God makes this promise. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now go to Galatians chapter 3, and look at verse 8. Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify, declare right in his sight, the Gentiles, the nations, the ethnic groups of the world, by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham. Saying all the nations will be blessed in you. So when we read Genesis 12, 3, Paul tells us in Galatians, that was the gospel. There's good news for all people, not just the people that will physically descend from Abraham, but this uncountable multitude of people that will have faith like Abraham. And it's already in the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. It's promised beforehand. The good news, it's already there. Or also talking to Abraham, Genesis 15 Verse 6, Genesis 15, verse 6. Then he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he, God, reckoned it to him as righteousness. So we get to the book of Romans, chapter 4, and... We read chapter 4, what shall we say about Abraham? Our forefather, according to the flesh, has found. If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Verse 3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. Genesis 15, 6. So there it is again. Announced beforehand through the prophets in the holy scriptures, fulfilled now in Jesus the good news is being unfolded. We get a better, clearer picture than what we could have seen in just the Old Testament. One more for now. Lord willing, in a couple weeks, we'll get to Romans 1.17. In it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. But the righteous man shall live by faith. Habakkuk 2.4. It was already in the writings of Scripture. And it's now... Revealed in the gospel. So throughout this letter, Paul will continue to say, as it is written, and then have a quote from the Old Testament. And the reason he does that is because God has already promised the gospel beforehand in his word. And a third truth we need to know about the gospel is that the central focus of the gospel is Jesus Christ. So Romans 1, 3, and 4. Concerning his son, who was born a descendant of David according to the flesh, 
who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. According to the Spirit of Holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul has a lot more to say in this letter about who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplished through his death and his resurrection. But for now, he highlights two main things. First, Jesus is the physical descendant of David. So three months from today, tomorrow, we're going to celebrate Christmas, the incarnation. Jesus was a real human being who was born as a baby with flesh and bones just like us. But he was not just born into any random Jewish family. He can trace his genealogy back to King David. So why does that matter? And the answer is because God had made a promise to David in 2 Samuel 7 that one of his descendants would rule as king forever. And that promise is repeated in the Psalms, in Isaiah, in Jeremiah. And so it's there, it's there, people are waiting for it. And then you get to Luke 1, 31. Gabriel says to Mary, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob and the rest of the world. And his kingdom will have no end. So do you see it? It matters that Jesus... Family tree goes back to David because he's the fulfillment of those promises. And just recently I, I saw this, um, well, let's first define terms. So the title for this long-expected king that was promised to David in 2 Samuel, and then a thousand years before Gabriel announces that king has come, is Messiah. Same exact word as Christ. The Christ, the Messiah. It's a title meaning the anointed one. And so in Matthew 12, when Jesus heals a man that was demon-possessed, blind, and mute, it says, and all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? Now why would they ask a question like that? Why would they care about his family tree? How would... It's because what they're doing is they're saying, is the promised Messiah actually here now? Has this king we've been waiting for so long here? And so remember when Jesus uh, talks to the rulers in Matthew 22, he asks them a question. You don't have to turn to this. But Matthew 22, he says, what do you think about the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed long-expected, long-promised king and deliverer. Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. Get it? <laughs> That's why Paul's talking about Jesus, according to the flesh, is a son of David. He's a human being like us, and he's the promised king. He's the Christ, just like the Old Testament scriptures promised would come. But... Jesus, of course, is so much more than a great king who's the son of David. He is the son of God. So look again at verse 4. Jesus was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. 
So throughout his ministry, Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. Not just in a generic, we're all sons and daughters of God kind of way, but insisting he is the unique Son of God. He is one in essence and nature with God Almighty. He is co-equal and co-eternal with the maker of heaven and earth and is therefore worthy of the same supreme honor as God the Father. So let's look at some verses in John about that. So John chapter 5. In God's providence, it's interesting that we were in Hebrews 1 this morning and all these massive statements about the identity of Christ. John 5, 17 and 18. He answered that my father is working in Tanel and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Why? Why do they want to kill Jesus? One, he's not only breaking the Sabbath, but two, he's also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So not talk son of God, little s, like if you are a believer in Christ, you are a son of God, little s, capital S, Unique, eternal, God in the flesh, Son of God. So they wanted to kill him for that. That's blasphemy. Or go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 30 and 31. I and the Father are one. One in essence, one in nature. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. You can't just go around saying you're God in a Jewish culture and think nobody's going to be worried about that. They're going to pick up stones and want to kill you for that. Go to John 19.7. This is the Jews talking to Pilate. They bring Jesus before Pilate. Verse 7, the Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. So Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, was seen as blasphemy and punishable by death. So they killed him. They put him on a cross, and as he's suffering on that cross, he sure doesn't look like the Son of God. And remember... The crowds are mocking him. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. If you are the son of God, God will rescue you. But God did not rescue him from the cross. Jesus dies. He's buried in a tomb borrowed from Joseph of Arimathea. And it looked like all his big claims to be the son of God were absolutely false. He was either deliberately lying or hopelessly out of touch with reality. But either way, he's obviously not who he was claiming to be. There's no way someone like that could be the son of God. But on the third day, God raised Jesus from the dead. And that settled the issue of who Jesus is once and for all. A few years ago, Newsweek had a big article about Jesus' cover story page after page, and one of the sentences said, quote, to Christians, he is the son of God. 
but the world's other religions have their own views of this legendary figure. So, billion Hindus in India say that Jesus is just one of many incarnations or avatars of Vishnu. Two billion Muslims in this world say Jesus is a prophet, but he's not nearly as important as the prophet Muhammad. And Newsweek is basically saying everyone is entitled to their own opinion about Jesus. And all beliefs are equally valid and equally valuable. And whatever you choose to believe or not believe about Jesus is true for you. There are no wrong answers to the question, who is Jesus? And Paul is saying in verse 4, there's only one right answer to who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. And it's not just Christians who say that. He is the Son of God. It's God says so. And he said so with power by raising him from the dead. All doubts removed. <laughs> you raise somebody from the dead, that settles it. Once and for all. Jesus is my son. And so look at 1 John 5. 1 Verse 9, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his son. So he did it at the baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He did it at the transfiguration. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. He does it at Easter. This is my son. Let me show you by raising him from the dead. That's the testimony God has given of Jesus. And the one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God, in other words, you don't believe Jesus is the Son of God, you're not believing God, and you're making God a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. And the testimony is this. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God does not have the life. See how either or it is? So what about you this morning? Do you have the Son of God. Do you know you have eternal life? Have you ever embraced the good news of the gospel? So let me read another summary of the gospel. This is from Mark Dever. The good news is that the one and only God who is holy made us in his image to know him. But we sinned and cut ourselves off from him. In his great love, God became a man in Jesus, 
lived a perfect life and died on the cross, thus fulfilling the law himself and taking on himself the punishment for the sins of all who would trust in him. He rose again from the dead, showing that God accepted Christ's sacrifice and that God's wrath against us had been exhausted. He now calls us to repent of our sins and trust in Christ alone for our forgiveness. So have you embraced that? Have you embraced that? And if God is convicting you this morning, first acknowledge, I am not on good terms with God. As we continue through this letter, we're going to come across verses like Romans 3, 10 through 12. As it is written, there's another reference to the Holy Scriptures, just like it's written, Psalm 14, Psalm 53. There is none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There's not even one. No exceptions. And then in verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so everyone in the human race, including everyone in this room and everyone listening online, is guilty before God and fully deserves his judgment and condemnation. Second, none of us can gain God's acceptance and approval by our own efforts. We can't earn good standing with God by anything we can do or offer. So again, in Romans 4, verse 4, now to the one who works... You're trying to achieve this on your own. You're trying to do something to get God's attention and get his favor and get his approval, get his acceptance. His wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, don't even try, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, declares right in his sight those who aren't right in his sight, his faith is credited as righteous. So, of course, the book of Romans is going to unfold that sentence. <laughs> We're unrighteous. All of us are unrighteous. God's way of making people like us right in his sight is through Jesus, but it's sure not through what we do. And then third, turn from sin and turn to Christ. Just started Mark in my quiet time. And the opening words of Mark, he starts off with John the Baptist coming and how that fulfills the scriptures. And then this is how he introduces Jesus and Jesus' public ministry. Doesn't talk about his birth in Bethlehem, doesn't talk about his childhood, doesn't talk about being a carpenter. He just jumps right in. Verse 14. Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. Where did we just see that sentence? The gospel of God. There's one gospel. And the first words of Jesus recorded in Mark are, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Did you know that? I needed to be reminded this week that that's how Jesus started off. I've got a message called the gospel of God. Repent and believe it. Trust Christ alone to forgive your sins and restore you 
to a right relationship with God. Believe his death on the cross is the only way the barrier of our sin could be removed and that his resurrection from the dead not only shows that he's the son of God with power, but also shows that he accomplished everything necessary for a holy God to declare you or me right in his sight. And for those who are trusting in Christ this morning, here's just a couple closing reminders. First, there is only one gospel. There's only one gospel from God. We saw that in Mark 1.15 and we see it in Romans 1.1, 1, 1, the gospel of God. The gospel, not a gospel, the gospel. There's only one gospel worthy of the name gospel. Go to Galatians 1. Verse 6 through 9. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. And then he quickly wants to put an asterisk by that, which is really not another only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. There is exactly one gospel. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's the only one. And this passage in Galatians always reminds me of a conversation I had in Sioux Falls with another pastor who should have known better. And he's talking about a relative of his who has embraced a version of getting right with God that's Christ plus our human works. And he started a sentence with the gospel as I understand it which is AA language. This is a Baptist pastor. The gospel is I understand it. And it's like, no, it's not you understand this, Christ alone, and this relative is Christ plus, and they're both okay, or they're both true, or it's true for him and it's true for you. There's only exactly one gospel. And any other gospel is not only wrong, it's under God's curse. So we need to take that seriously. Because there's only one gospel that actually saves people like us. So go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 1, now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which you also received, in which you also stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. 
There's one gospel. Here's the one I preach. It's three and four. I delivered to you of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel that I've been preaching. You received it. You re stand in it. That's the gospel that's going to save you unless your belief is something less than a staying fast to that word, which means you believed in vain. It wasn't real. So only one gospel from God that's worthy to be called the gospel that actually saves people. It's the gospel that we're going to read in Romans. And the second application for now is the gospel is not just for unbelievers before coming to Christ. It is for believers after coming to Christ. So look at back in Romans 1. So verse 6 through 8. And Lord willing, we'll look at this more the next couple weeks. But Paul says, among whom, here's some of the Gentiles, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I think God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. And then look at verse 15. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. They're already believers. They have been called to belong to Christ. They have been loved by God. Their faith is being talked about throughout the whole known world. And yet Paul says, I can't wait to get there to preach the gospel to you. Hmm. That sounds like it's not just for believers before coming to Christ, it's for believers after coming to Christ, which is, if you read Jerry Bridges or even just hung around here a little bit, you, you know this phrase, preach the gospel to yourself every day. What does that mean? And the basic idea is that our standing with God does not go up and down based on our performance. How well we're doing on our quiet times or how consistently we're living the Christian life. It doesn't matter if we're having a good day spiritually, however we define that, or a bad day spiritually, however we define that. What matters is our acceptance with God is always based on what Christ has accomplished for us. The only reason God accepts us is because of the death of Jesus taking away our sins once and for all and the righteousness of Christ being credited to our account. And that's good news every day. That's not just before you come to Christ that's good news. That's good news every day that my standing with God doesn't zoom, zoom, zoom like this depending on how I'm doing. It's about Jesus and what he's done and continues to do. He's my intercessor. He's keeping me. And so the gospel isn't just like you're not past the gospel. Like you graduated from the gospel. And yeah, it's good to know it so I can share it with an unbeliever, which I hope you're doing. But share it with yourself. Preach it to yourself every day because we all need it every day. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for this good news. We did not deserve to hear anything except bad news. And in your grace and mercy and love, you designed this gospel. And you sent Jesus to accomplish everything that needed to be accomplished. You made it available as a free gift received by faith, which you give us. So it's all of you. It's all of your grace. And to you alone be the glory. I pray again for anyone who has never received this good news. That doesn't know the bad news of how off they are from a relationship with you. Because of their sin or how hopeless it is to think that they can get to you in their own goodness or good deeds or good intentions. Lord, I pray that they would have their eyes opened like you have done for many of us miraculously. Open to see the truth of Jesus, the truth of what he's done, the truth that he's the only way to you, that they too might have eternal life and worship you forever. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're going to stand.